If you haven't already, be turning to Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 is a rebuke there at the end of the chapter taking place by the Hebrew writer. The Hebrew writer is discussing the priesthood of Melchizedek. And as he comes here in chapter 5, beginning at verse 9, he says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God, and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Hebrew writer here is rebuking his audience because they have not matured as they needed to. He tells them here in verse 11, here's the problem. You've become dull of hearing. You've become sluggish in your hearing. He tells them that by this time, they ought to have been teachers. This is what they should have been, but instead they're dull of hearing. Instead, they are still spiritually babes. Though by this time they should be on solid food, they still needed the milk. Could you imagine a child who, though they have grown up and should be at the age to eat solid, they still can only have milk. You would take that child to the doctor, figure out what's wrong. Well, spiritually speaking, that's where those the Hebrew writers writing to are standing. They should by this time be grown up. They should by this time be teachers. But instead, they need to go back to the first principles of the oracles of God. This is why they had become dull of hearing. Because they had not grown up to maturity, they had not learned those things that gone on to the point that now the Hebrew writer, whomever he may be, tells them we need to go back to the very basic foundational principles of the gospel. In chapter 6 he points out what those are when he said at the beginning of chapter 6 that now leaving the, the elementary principles or these, these first principles, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again, this is the kind of things they needed to go back to. The foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Of the doctrine of baptisms. Of the laying on of hands. Of the resurrection of the dead. And of eternal judgment. That's, what the first, that's some first principles there. They need to go back to that. Because they have not grown spiritually as they are. Well you see the Bible tells us time and time again of the importance of spiritual growth. I think no passage may better illustrate that than Paul's prayer for spiritual growth in Colossians chapter 1. Now if you would be turning there to Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, we will read Paul's prayer here and then discuss its contents this evening. For this reason we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, 
being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now there are really two main parts here in Paul's prayer for spiritual growth. Paul is offering this prayer here for the brethren at Colossae, and there's really two main parts that we want to look at to this prayer. The first is the request that Paul makes. Paul has a request That is, that they be filled. Paul says in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you, and ask that you may be filled. Paul's prayer is that they be filled. Well, before we talk about what he wants them to be filled with, what does it mean that Paul wants them to be filled? Before we talk about what he's telling them to be filled with, what does this idea of being filled mean? Well, Strong says that this word can be rendered this way, completed, completing. It's been rendered accomplished. It's been rendered to make full. It's been rendered made complete. Several words here, filled 16 times our term here in this passage. So it's been translated all these various terms in scriptures. So what he's telling them here is I want you to be filled. It's to the uttermost. It's complete. It is completely That is what Paul is telling them here, is to have it to the uttermost, to be completed. He needs to be completely, to be completely and totally filled. That is, nothing is lacking. When he tells them in this text that he wants them to be filled, and again we'll talk about what he wants them to be filled with in a second. What he's saying is, in these areas, I want there to be nothing lacking. In these areas in your life. I want it to be to the uttermost to complete. To be, to, for you to be increasing it's translated. I want it to be to the uttermost. But what is it that Paul says he wants them to be filled with? He says I want you to have this to the uttermost. I want you to have nothing lacking. But what of? Well first he says he wants them to be filled with the knowledge of his will, looking at verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. This word render knowledge means coming to an understanding of something clearly and distinctively or as true and valid. Often with a personal acquaintance that necessitates a positive or negative reaction. So you think about that, that this is like a personal acquaintance. Their their relationship with knowledge is not one that's loosely, it's as if it's a close relationship. That's the kind of thing, the knowledge of his will, they have a close relationship to God's will. It's not that they know a few facts here and a few facts there, a little here and a little there. You know, they might be able to tell you few memory verses and tell you you know where you can find the books of the Bible and maybe give you the kings we're not talking about knowing a little bit it's this close personal acquaintance remember when the psalmist said thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee 
That's being filled with the knowledge of God's will. Having that close personal relationship. See, the knowledge of his will means that, that we have a knowledge of the word of God. I want you to look at Luke chapter 7. Now, he just did a series for us through Luke chapter 7. I want us to look at Luke 7 and in verse 30. Look at Luke 7 and in verse 30, what is said here. This is in Jesus' conversation about John, and here's what he said. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected, listen, the will of God. If you highlight in your Bible, you underline, highlight, underline, or circle that phrase, the will of God. Right out beside that, Luke 3, 2 and 3. They rejected the will of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. So the will of God for the Pharisees and for all those there was they be baptized by John. Now go to Luke chapter 2. Or Luke chapter 3, rather. Luke chapter 3 and in verse 2 and 3. Luke 3, 2 and 3 says, While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, Again, you might want to circle or highlight or underline this. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, listen closely, preaching baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. See, what this tells me is, in Luke chapter 7, the Pharisees rejected the will of God by not having been baptized. So the will of God was to be baptized. When they rejected the teaching of John, they rejected the will of God. Luke 3 tells me that when John was filled with the word of God, he went out and taught baptism. You see, God's will and his word, that's the same. So when he tells, Paul tells them here to be filled with a knowledge of his will, he's telling them that you need to have a knowledge of the word, that being familiar with the truth. This is an acknowledgement that you believe God's word is the truth. See, look at again this definition. Coming to understand something clearly and distinctively or as true and valid. Remember in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we need to be familiar with the word of God and understand it to be true and valid. To understand what it does for us. And to have this close personal relationship with the word of God. That was Paul's prayer for them. And his prayer for spiritual growth. But he not only prayed for knowledge. He said for knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Weaver says of this phrase, wisdom and spiritual understanding. He will do only that which is in his spiritual interest. Or what is good for him on a spiritual level. Some things even right in themselves are not best for the Christian. It does not necessarily take all wisdom and spiritual understanding to know the difference between right and wrong or the good and the bad. But it does require such wisdom and understanding to know the better over the good and the best over the better. And having recognized the difference to then make the best choice rather than just refuse the bad. I think there are two parts to wisdom we need to understand. We, t we talked about part of it this morning in Bible class. Part of wisdom requires the ability to apply the things that we know. So we know this principle of truth. That's knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and how to apply what I know. That's part of what's involved with wisdom. See, 
We need to understand that we need, just because we know a fact doesn't mean we necessarily know how to apply it. Donnie talked this morning about having spiritual renewal or revival. We all know we need to study. We all know we need to pray. We all know we need to stay focused in worship. We all know that. You know what that means? We have knowledge of what we need to do. The wisdom is taking and then applying that. But now it doesn't just mean that we need to do this, that we, need to, that we can just apply what we know, and we also need to realize and need to pray that we apply what we know to make the best decisions in our life. Go back with me for just a second to this quote here by Weaver. Look at what he said again. That it doesn't take all wisdom and spiritual understanding to know the difference between right and wrong or good and bad, but it does require such wisdom to know the better over the good and the best over the better. And having recognized the difference, to then make the best choice rather than just refuse the bad. So let's, let's take knowledge for just a second versus wisdom. Now we know that we have knowledge and wisdom that wisdom can involve applying knowledge. But now at the same time, wisdom involves more than just applying the facts that we know. Wisdom involves us making the best choices. So let's give a fact of knowledge for just a moment. The Bible tells us not to commit the sin of adultery. And then we know that, we know where the passage is, we can find that. You know what that is? That's knowledge. Okay, so we're faced with a situation where that temptation is there. We can look at it and say, here's what God said. So there's either a clear right or a clear wrong. We know whether we're in violation of do not commit adultery or not. That can require knowledge. You can see the good and the bad clearly distinguished before you. It's the, word, the way people often describe it is it's black and white. You can see the difference between the good and the bad. But what about situations where, as Weaver pointed out, there are not things that are, that are not necessarily wrong. They may be right, but they may not be best. There are some things that are right in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with them. That can become a problem. The Hebrew writer pointed out in Hebrews chapter 12 to lay aside every sin and weight. Sin would be the things we know to be wrong. That's where that knowledge comes in. The weight would be the things that are not wrong that we let weigh us down. We know we keep ourselves from having weight is using wisdom in the first place to make the best decisions to make sure we're growing spiritually. You see, this wisdom is all the more important when there may not be a matter of just sheer right or wrong. But we're choosing between something that's not wrong and something that may be even better. We see, when you're presented with opportunities where you can study God's Word, when you're presented with opportunities where you may spend more time in prayer, or you're presented with opportunities to gather, to gather with those who are of, the like, of a like precious faith, and you might be built up, and you choose opportunities. And I'm not talking just about matters of forsaking the assembling or not, because we know from Hebrews 10 that would be a matter of knowledge if you're right and wrong. But I'm talking about opportunities where we may find ourselves being spiritually benefited by them. And yet we may choose something that is not wrong, that doesn't benefit us. So you see, when you have an opportunity, say you have, you have a fellow Christian say, come over for dinner. And you have some friend at work say, come over for dinner. Well, is it wrong to go to the, friend, to the person from, dinner, from work's house? Well, no. There's nothing wrong with that. 
There's nothing wrong going to the Christian's house. And you see, but in this opportunity, I might be able to discuss spiritual things with somebody that can build me up. That may be more beneficial. Maybe I have to choose over here that I know that I've spent some time in, I've spent some time in prayer, but maybe I'm in a situation where I, maybe I need to spend a little more time in prayer. I need to have the wisdom to do that instead of being over here partaking in some secular activity. That's not wrong in and of itself, but this over here is where I made to use my wisdom to spend my time. You see, Paul's prayer, Paul's request for them is they be filled with knowledge. That is, they know right and wrong. They know that God's word is the truth. They're familiar with it. They have a close personal relationship with it. But that they also have wisdom and spiritual understanding. They know how to apply the knowledge they have. And they also know how to use that knowledge to make the best decision and not just decide, well, this isn't wrong, and so it's okay if I do it. That's Paul's request. That they be filled in all knowledge of His will. In knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. But I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about the result. If the request that Paul made happens, if, if the brethren at Colossae are filled with the knowledge of God's will, if they are in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, if we are filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, here is the result of that. Number one, we walk worthy. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. You see, he just said in verse 9, to be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy. You know what that tells me? In order to walk worthy, I need to be filled with the knowledge of His will and to be filled in all, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that I need to have those to walk worthy. But the, the, this idea of walk worthy, this is a result of this prayer, but it's also a way in which we're to conduct ourselves. You see, this, this idea of walking worthy occurs several times throughout the New Testament. In Colossians chapter 1, in our verse here, he says, walk worthy of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 1, we saw this just a few weeks ago in Bible class, I beseech you therefore... I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And this is 1 Thessalonians 2.12. That you walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. See, we need to be walking worthy. To be living the life as we should. Again, walk worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of God who calls you, those passages tell us. But that really gives us, raises a question for us. Since we, since we know how to walk worthy, or we need to walk worthy, we ought to be asking, how do I walk worthy? This appears, again, 1 Thessalonians, Ephesians, and Colossians. The fact that Paul uses this phrase, or some form of it, three times tells me this must be very important to walk worthy. So what does it mean that I walk worthy of the Lord? Or walk worthy of my calling? Well, I think the passage better illustrates that than the passage that we've been studying just recently on Sunday morning in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. That is what the second half of the book of Ephesians is about. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 focus on walking worthy. And the book of Ephesians and Colossians are sort of parallels. They have a lot of parallel passages, a lot of parallel wording. You look in one text, you'll find some parallel in another. He tells both of them walk worthy. 
But in Ephesians 4 through 6, we have some great detail recorded of what that involves. So let's take just a second and flip through the pages of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 to see what he says about walking worthy. You might want to put a marker if you haven't already in Colossians 1. We'll be right back. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment. (coughs) Ephesians 4 and in verse 1. Again, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Here's how he tells him to do it. By keeping unity. Look at verses 2 and 3. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You want to walk worthy of your calling. What you need to realize is you need to keep unity. Christians are to be united. Remember Jesus' prayer in the book of John, chapter 17? That he prayed not only for the apostles, but for all those who would, serve, who would obey what the word that they taught, obey his will through what they taught. That they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. We're to be united. And in order to walk worthy, Christians ought to be united. Because there is one body, one spirit. We were called to one hope of our calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in all, he says. And so you need to walk worthy by keeping unity. You need to walk worthy by doing your part, he says. But to each one of us, verse 7, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captives and gave gifts to men. And he goes on and listen in verse 12 there, or, or listen in verse 13, that he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He talks about that on through verse 16 where he says, From the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. You say, I know the Bible tells me I need to walk worthy, but what does that mean? It means you do your part. It's by what every joint supplies. When every part does its share, that's building up the body. That's what he's talking about here in verses 7 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody needs to do their part in order to walk worthy. Everybody needs to realize that they are different from the world. You say, I want to walk worthy of the calling with which I was called. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to be different from the world. You're not like the others, not like those of the world, not like the Gentiles. Not who walk in the futility of their mind. But you remember verse 24 of Ephesians 4, that you put on the new man who was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And you put on that new man, and he describes in 25 through 32 what that new man looks like. He's the one that doesn't lie. He's not angry in sins. He doesn't steal. He doesn't let corrupt words proceed out of his mouth, but only that which is necessary for edification. He doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit. He puts away bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking with all malice, but instead he's kind, he's tenderhearted, and he forgives. Somebody says, I want to walk worthy. Then you need to put off that old man and put on the new man, created according to God. You want to walk worthy, you need to be an imitator of God. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Same thought from chapter 4 continued. Be imitators of God as dear children. 
We saw that just a few weeks ago. That means we walk in love, verse 2. We walk in light, 3 through 14. And we, uh, we walk as children of light, 3 to 14. And we walk circumspectly, or we're careful then how you walk, as the New American Standard says, in 15 through 21. Then we realize that we need to walk worthy by being what we ought in our relationships. In 522 through 69, he tells them to be, he tells wives to be submissive, husbands to be loving, children be obedient, parents be instructive to your children, bond servants be obedient, and masters don't be threatening. You need to be what you ought in each and every one of your relationships if you want to walk worthy. Tells me a few things. If the whole thrust three chapters about walking worthy, then how we are as a husband, how we are as a wife, how we are as parents, how we are as children affects our salvation. Because if we're walking worthy, then we're conducting ourselves as he tells us to in these verses. It's the wife that is submissive, the husband that is loving, the, children, the child that's obedient, the parents that teach, the bondservant that obeys, the master that doesn't threaten. That if we are what we need to be in those kind of relationships, we can walk worthy. But only when we are what we need to be in our relationships. He then comes in 10 through 20 and tells him, if you want to walk worthy, you put on the whole armor of God. <coughs> Excuse me. If you want to walk worthy, you put on the whole armor of God. Because that's how you fight against the wiles of the devil. That's how you are able to stand against the walls of the devil. And so you put on, uh, you, you gird your waist with truth, you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you shod your feet with preparation of peace, you take up the shield of faith, and you put on the helmet of salvation, and you take up the sword of the Spirit. So you're ready to fight a spiritual war, and when you fight that spiritual war and you stand firm, you've walked worthy. Worthy of the calling with which you were called. See, that's what we need to do. He tells us here in, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul does, that if we're filled with the knowledge of His will, and if we have all wisdom and spiritual understanding, we'll walk worthy of the Lord. You say, I want to walk worthy. I know that's important. I want to be the kind of person filled with the knowledge of His will. I want to be the kind of person filled with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. But how do I know if I have that kind of knowledge? How do I know if I have that kind of wisdom? Were you striving to keep unity? Are you doing your part? Are you different from the world? Are you an imitator of God? Are you one that's what you ought in your relationships? And are you one that's taken up the whole armor of God and is fighting the good fight? If so, you're filled with the knowledge of His will and wisdom and spiritual understanding. Because you have that close-knit relationship with truth, you're making sure you're guarding yourself from being taken away by things that you ought not. And then you ought worthy of the calling with which you were called. But then... And only then. But not only does he say that they'll walk worthy, he says they'll be fully pleasing to him. You see, when we're filled with the knowledge of his will, and when we walk worthy, we're fully pleasing to him. Look again in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Think about Colossians chapter 1 for just a second, like, a build, like, like, like building a house. We're using, suppose we'll take little child's building blocks for just a second. And before we can go any farther, we've got to lay a foundation. The foundation is, not, you have that close-knit relationship with, his, with the knowledge of His will. And that you have all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's the foundation here to build upon. After you had your faith, after you obeyed, you need to start there. 
But if you start next to the next building block is, after you've done that, you're going to walk worthy. Only after you walk worthy can you place the next block. That's fully pleasing Him. That's the next step. You're taking stepping stones on up. After you walk worthy, you're fully pleasing Him. You see, as Christians, that ought to be our aim. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 9, Paul said, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Paul's aim was to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Our aim ought to be to be well-pleasing to the Lord. But you see, we can only be pleasing if we have the knowledge and wisdom that we're talked about and if we walk worthy. That's the result of the knowledge. That's the result of the wisdom. That's the result of having the kind of walk you walk because of your knowledge and your wisdom. Then you're fully pleasing to the Lord. Not only are you fully pleasing, you then will be fruitful in every good work. Verse 10. You see, as Christians, we were created for good works. Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Titus chapter 2 and in verse 4, as well as 3 verse 1, tells us to be zealous and ready for good works. Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for his own special people, zealous for good works. Titus 3.1 He reminds us to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. See, you were called to good works. You were created for good works. You're to be zealous for good works. You're to be ready for these good works. To conduct yourselves within the confines of God's Word and do the things that He says. And only when you live in accordance with His will and you do the things that He has told you to do can you be pleasing to Him. But if you do those, you do those good works, you're going to be fruitful. Remember in Psalm 1, how the, how the righteous man was described as being fruitful? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by rivers of water. That yields fruit in its season. Because of his relationship to God's word. The relationship we started with. The knowledge of his will. Knowing it to be true. Having that close relationship to it. Because of the knowledge of the man of Psalm 1 had. He was fruitful. We can be fruitful too. If. If. We do good works. But if you cease to do good works. You become unfruitful. Said Colossians may be the one, maybe one of the best, if not the best passage to illustrate what's needed for spiritual growth, but probably no passage is more familiar to us than 2 Peter chapter 1. Beginning at verse 5, are recorded what are referred to often as the Christian graces. But for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, that is, you're increasing the ESV and the New American Standard, say, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, if they're yours and are increasing, you're not barren or unfruitful. What that tells me is, if they're not mine and they're not increasing, then I am barren and I am unfruitful. And I don't want to be barren and unfruitful. The unfruitful ones are cast out. There's no use for them. But you can only be fruitful 
If you walk worthy and you conduct yourself as God has said in His will. Paul made a request. They'd be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The result was they would walk worthy, they would be fully pleasing to God, they would be fruitful in every good work, and finally they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 10. Verse 10. Fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now there is some debate as to how this passage should be translated. Some footnotes and others translate it various ways. The rephrase in the original could mean either in the knowledge of God, as the New King James translates it, or by the knowledge of God. Both are true statements. fact is, we increase in the knowledge of God. In 2 Peter 3.18, increase, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we need to grow in knowledge. We need to strive to grow in knowledge. We're never going to know everything we ought to know. However, by the, by the knowledge of God seems to be the better translation of this text. So here's what he's saying. Let's follow the text through the progression. If by the knowledge of God, which I believe it is, is probably the more accurate reflection here, here's what he's saying in this text. Verse 9, you start with knowledge that you possess in verse 9, and that knowledge you're filled with is what causes you to grow. He said in verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And here you have this knowledge of His will, and in verse 10 He tells us that we can be increasing in or by again, by the knowledge of God. And so you see, we can only grow as our faith increases, and our faith can only, and the apostles understood that in Luke 17, 5. Lord, increase our faith. And remember this, that faith is a product of having heard God's Word. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So here's the conclusion we must reach. 2 Peter 1 points out everything that pertains to the life of God in this comes from knowledge, 2 Peter 1, 3. So here's the conclusion we must reach. If everything pertaining to life in God in this goes back to knowledge... And if I can only grow if my faith increases, and my faith can only increase if I hear the Word of God, what he's saying in this text here, I believe, is that as this all comes back full circle, if you will, back to where we start, as you've been filled with the knowledge of God's will, you've become familiar with it. You have this wisdom you apply, you're going to walk worthy. You're going to be fully pleasing to the Lord. You're going to be fruitful, and you're going to continue to grow as a Christian. Because you have a knowledge of the will of God. And going back to that knowledge of the will of God, as you study and you read, as you start to use that wisdom and apply that knowledge, you will grow spiritually. And that's when and only when you began by being filled with the knowledge of His will. Everything ultimately comes back to the request that Paul made. Again, the request was that you be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. 
And when you have that, you'll walk worthy. When you walk worthy, you'll be fully pleasing. When you've been fully pleasing, you'll be fruitful. And when you've been fruitful, you will increase by the knowledge of God where it all began in the first place. That's Paul's prayer for spiritual growth. Paul's prayer for them was that they be filled with knowledge and wisdom. They walk worthy. They be fully pleasing of the Lord, to the Lord. They be fruitful and they increase by knowledge. This here, as we bring to close our time together, is my prayer for you. Let us read it one more time. For this reason we also, verse 9, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing by the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And you see, as we're filled with that knowledge, as we walk worthy, we have verse 13, 12, the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, as we said when we began, it's essential we grow so we don't become dull of hearing and we don't become unfruitful and we don't become short-sighted as 2 Peter 1.9 would point out. We didn't even get to that verse in 2 Peter 1. It would be so short-sighted to blindness. But we should strive to be fully pleasing. We should strive to be strengthened with all might in verse 11. Having become qualified as partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Knowing that we have our reward if we continue on. Knowing that this life is not all there is. But there is a life which is to come. And if we conduct ourselves in the manner that we have seen here, having been filled with that knowledge and wisdom by walking worthy when we're pleasing to Him and we're fruitful and we continue to grow all the days of our life, we have our reward in heaven and can spend eternity around the throne of God forever singing praises to Him. But that hope is only available to those who have obeyed the gospel. So if you're here tonight and you've never responded in obedience to the gospel, why would you not want to have that hope, of that inheritance, of that home in heaven if your life was to end? If you've heard the word of God and you believe, because that faith comes by hearing, we already saw, then will you not act on that faith by repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, being buried in the waters of baptism to rise and walk in a newness of life, a life of which you need to walk worthy? Maybe you say you're here and you've done that, but somewhere along the line you've not walked worthy. If the sin is of, in your life is of a private nature, you can take it to the Lord privately in prayer. But if it is of a public nature, you would desire the prayers of the congregation. We will pray with you and for you for God to forgive you. But no matter what your need is, if we could assist you in any way, would you not come forward as we stand and sing?